episode 341 Kyle Genner Fear to Man Unleashed He's a best-selling author He's a coach, he's a TEDx speaker He's studied and interviewed the world's elite minds with over 300 episodes since 2014 <laughs> This dude's book Awaken Your Alpha Tales and Tactics to Thrive shares the best stories in his own strategic way and just gives you actions to be the leader in your own life. So who am I talking about, boys and girls? This is my man, Adam Lewis Walker. What's up, mate? <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. If you want to hear more Tales and Tactics to Thrive, please do head over to ayalpha.com forward slash book. And there you get the international best-selling book. You get the TEDx talk. You get all the information, all the bonuses. Jump in there. There's a Claim Your Clarity seven-day video series all for you to go and grab. So go check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay, let's get into the show. This interview is all about Man Unleashed. And we have Kyle Genner on the line. And we're all, again... To say it's all about getting in great shape is just one aspect of it. So we're going to really dig into his, his story and what he's come from. And it will kill a lot of your excuses you may have lying in your head or you've used in the past. And so we're going to dig into all of that. But firstly, Kyle, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Absolutely. My, my alpha has been awoken for a long time now. Is there anything you'd like to add to that very brief intro? What are you all about at the moment? Um, helping men get back in great shape, physically, emotionally, um, getting back in great shape so they can be great fathers, great businessmen, great husbands, so they can just have the life that they want. Because as the, the listeners will probably know, if your body's not in order, everything around you is going to start to fail pretty quickly because you are the center of everything in your life. That's what I'm about, but in a real no bullshit pretty to the point direct sort of manner perfect i want to ask the origin questions tell us a little bit about you know where you're originally from and how you got to this point so i grew up in a in a little coal mining village in the northeast called langley park okay. um real real working class like r rough tough hard <laughs> and the village was rough but the estate was even rougher it was like the UK's version of the Bronx. It was horrific. No jobs, no yeah. uh, drugs, alcohol. Like if you're from that, if you're from that estate, you're basically a low life who isn't going to achieve anything. Yeah. Um, so from a young age, that was kind of my example of what life was supposed to be like drugs, alcohol, um, shit, no jobs, you know? Um, and I grew up probably from three or four years onwards with that as the impression in my mind as like this is how it's going to be so i was bullied all the way through school because i was the small kid mm -hmm. and uh because i came from that estate i was also the scruffy kid which was lovely I had very little confidence very little self-belief um and again this idea that life is going to look this way you will go to jail you will be a heroin addict this this is what is possible for you um and at 16 i had a big a big fallout with my mother and uh, she kicked me out and I, I, I was homeless. So it was my fault to an extent because uh, we, we had this big argument 
and I put bricks through the living room window and the bedroom window. Wow. So that was this, we had a terrible relationship. It was horrific. I decided when she kicked me out that I didn't need anybody. Like typical teenage response, screw you. I don't need you. I don't need anyone. I'll do it on my own. So I went and borrowed a tent from a friend and I lived in a tent on a football field for, for like nine months through the winter. Oh. Yeah, which was pretty extreme. I yeah. was say like nine days or something like that. No, no, nine, like, nine like months. A teenager would go out there and then be like, oh, can I come back? But it sounds like I was no, no, bridges quite badly. No, man. I, and I, I mean, I'd burn me bridges, but also uh, it's been a character trait throughout my life when, when I set my mind to something, I'm, I'm going to follow through. For the most, I'm human, so sometimes I fall off that wagon, but for the most part, I'll follow through on what I say. Yeah. If I already had this idea that life was within this little box, yeah. that kind of just confirmed it further. So, oh, look, you're the scruffy kid from the crap council estate that's surrounded by drugs and alcohol and low, low employment, and now you live in a tent on a football field. Brilliant. So it, it became almost self-fulfilling, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I remember this quite vividly. It was early November and I, I remember waking up at about three o'clock in the morning, shivering horrifically, kind of like violently teeth clashing together. I remember waking up and like almost being unable to move because it was so cold. Yeah. And I remember getting out my sleeping bag slowly, wearily, opening the tent and looking at the football pitch. And it was just like, you know, you know like on a really crap winter morning where everything's just frozen it was like that and uh i walked around for hours just walked the streets to try and keep some body heat up and as daylight came in i'm i'm walking past car windows and shop windows and i can see my reflection and i can just see a horrifically white face with blue lips and i'm like this something needs to change here like this is not this this is how people have told me that life is going to be, but why, why, like, why do why should I accept this? So I kind of, over the months that followed, I tried to claw my way back into a normal way of living. I eventually got a little rubbish flat on the estate that I grew up on. Um, and I, I had various jobs like working on building sites, working in factories and so on. And I kind of just milled around for a couple of years until I was 19 doing nothing much just like those kind of real rubbish jobs that that often people get trapped in and stay in for the rest of their lives and i got to about 19 and there was a few guys from where i grew up would join the army and that was kind of the pinnacle for guys where i was from you could go to jail you could work on a building site or if you were top draw you could join the army and I started questioning, well, why do I have to keep doing these crap jobs? Why do I have to accept this crummy little flat? What, why is this all there is for me? So I decided to be big and bold and join the army. And like saying that now sounds ridiculous because I know there's so much more out there. But at the time, at the time, my perception of what was possible in life, that was it. Join the army or rot here in this crappy little village yeah, forever action and you know like you say that army is associated with high performance and mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to take any crap and <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. would you like thinking back about it and i've reflected on this a lot over the years one of the things that really drew well there's a couple of things that really drew me to it number one i had i had no upbringing my parents weren't really good parents yeah. so i had i had very 
poor social skills. I had very little discipline. I had very, very few of the, of the attributes that you need as a man to be able to function in the modern world. And I figured that the army would be a great place to try and develop those. Um, so yeah, so at 19, I decided to join the army, almost use that as my parenting for, yes. for what I can experience from life. And again, like you have these crazy moments that you remember. Um, I remember telling everyone that I knew that I was going to join the army and, uh, everybody said I couldn't do it. You can't, you, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do that. The guy I worked on building sites at that time and the guys that I was working on sites with, um, they started taking bets on how long I would last. Uh, you you'll be back in three weeks. You won't make it. You'd be just like those other lads who say they're going to join. You won't make it. They were actually taking money on how long I would last. So I decided, screw you, I'm going to do it. So I went to basic training. So I remember being on the train on the way there and those, everything that everyone had said, all those beliefs that I'd had in the past were kind of running through my mind. You're not good enough. You probably won't make it. Oh my God. But there was an underlying determination to say, screw you, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, uh, <laughs> one of the first things that happens when you join the army is you, you, you do your fitness test, right? So there's a mile and a half run. There's a press-up test. There's a sit-up test. Um, and basically, if you don't pass them, see you later. You've, you've got to be able to pass them within the first 12 weeks and do well at them or you're gone. Yeah. And I can remember, I can remember like when I first arrived, I'm looking around at all these other guys, bigger, stronger, richer, cleverer, all from much better backgrounds than me. And I can remember feeling like a fish out of water. And it, like ev everything up to that point kind of continued to confirm that I wouldn't be good enough. I remember from there standing on the line for the first mile and a half run we'd done, looking around and kind of running over those thoughts again. Everyone was right. They are better. They are bigger. I won't be good enough. But again, there was this fire determination. And we started the race for the mile and a half run. We're like maybe 400, 600 meters in. And a couple of guys have already gone past me. I'm in about 10th place. And in my head, I'm going, holy shit, people were right. Like, I am, I am not good enough. Um, but as we kept going, I started overtaking people. And we get to about halfway, halfway around. And I'm like in third or fourth place. And I'm like, this isn't computing. There's something, there's something wrong here. What, how, how am I in third or fourth place? We get to a mile in and I'm in first place. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. this is different. Hang on, maybe, maybe, maybe I am. Maybe I do have something. Maybe I am good enough. And I remember finishing that race 33 seconds ahead of the nearest guy. Before that, we'd done the press-up and the sit-up tests, and I'd smashed everybody out of the water on that as well. And it was almost like this, like somebody had picked me out of the shit <laughs> and opened my eyes and shown me what was possible yeah. in that one moment. Yeah. Just like people talk about life-changing moments, right? And that was like I, that was mind-blowing for me because for the first time in my whole life, I'd achieved something. I'd, I'd, I'd won. I'd come first. I was good at something. Um, so I kind of used that as fuel to push myself forward. For smashed the hell out of basic training for the next twelve weeks. Passed out with a, a little medal for best at physical training. And I remember going home afterwards 
and showing it to people and telling everyone, yeah, yeah, you know that guy that you said wouldn't last two weeks? Look at this, motherfuckers. You know, just... Like a big fuck you to everybody that yeah. had ever done I was going to say, once you had that initial, um, you know, where you obviously like you smashed the initial tests and stuff and uh, that sort of awakening, that surprise. What was it like after that? Was that like, like, it sounds like just momentum after that. That was just, you needed just like that glimmer and to see yeah, the path yeah. and then you just went for it. Yeah, definitely momentum, like a snowball, but all, but at the same time, perception is something that grows the more you try things and snowballs are the same. The, the more, the further it rolls down the hill, the bigger it gets. So it wasn't like do that race and immediately I'm a different guy, yeah. but my eyes were open to the extent that I was willing to do something a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And over the years that followed, that's where the snowball started. To well, build. I was int- that, so how far did that go? Obviously beyond basic training, beyond sort of when you get in that sort of, you, that when you're going back and you've achieved that and now you're in the army what how far did you run with that and and how did that momentum sort of carry on through the the coming years well i suddenly had a confidence and a self-belief i'd never had which meant that around these guys who i once thought were superior to me all of a sudden i felt at least equal if not better and that meant that I would challenge myself to do things against them or to take ownership and leadership of things and I I, I was in the army for five years and in five years I made it to corporal which is like the second rank up that's supposed to take 12 years I got there after four so I'd done well Um, the reason I actually left was I wanted to join the special forces yeah. So there's um, obviously the SAS are the, the guys that everybody knows about. There's, uh, there's another branch of the Special Forces called Special Reconnaissance Regiment. So if you think of the SAS as the guys with the guns that go in and do the meaty action, yeah. the SRR are the guys who go and do all the recon so that they can yeah. give the information to the SAS for the meaty action. So I was going to join the SRR, um, but... My eyesight wasn't good enough. I've got like plus eight eyes, which is ridiculously bad. So mm. I couldn't, I couldn't join. So, and at that point I had so much confidence and a belief in myself that I was like, well, do you know what? If I can't do the thing that I ultimately want to do, if I can't test myself at the highest possible level, screw you as well. See you later. And I decided I would leave because I felt like if I was to stay doing what I was doing at that point, I'd be settling for mediocrity. Yeah. So I decided to leave. I was going to say around that time, in that you doing it in sort of four years, what do you think apart from obviously momentum and just really, you know, coming from a position where you really appreciated the, the chance and the, the vehicle to absolutely, you know, progress. Why do you think you got there in four years as opposed to the average soldier who gets there in maybe 12 years, for example? Pure grit, pure grit and determination. And I, like, I'd, I'd People look for, in the modern world, we overcomplicate everything. We make everything so confusing. And like in fitness, there's some real simple things you've got to do to get results. With nutrition, there's some real simple things you've got to do to get results. And it's the same in wider life. I didn't do anything sexy. I just worked fucking hard. I just worked hard and I, I gritted my teeth and I got on with it. That's it. It was as simple as that. Um, so I left the army and when I, I found when I was leaving, 
I was having conversations very similar to those I was having before I joined. So one, you've got to go through a process to leave. You've got to go and see your troop commander, then the officer commanding, then the commanding officer, then the regimental careers officer. You've, they, it's almost like they put, they want to keep soldiers for as long as possible because they're quite hard to recruit and they're yeah. expensive to train. Yeah, they'll say they put a lot of money into you. And yeah, they, man. You're a good exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they put, they put roadblocks in place and they do everything they can to make your life a misery to try and get you to like change your decision. If I can make life shit for this next six months for this guy, then he'll decide, no, no, I can't take this anymore. And he'll stay so that he can go back to a nicer life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember having the conversations with the officer commander and so on. Corporal Genner, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. We're about to go into a recession. You are not going to get a job. You will be in McDonald's and you will be back within six months. And it just, it, yeah, right. Uh, but it brought me back to that time before I joined the army. And when I, when I first joined the army, when people were saying things like that to me, I believed them. Like, but I was determined to prove them wrong, but I believed them. I thought they were yeah. right. The difference at this point was people were saying it to me and I was like, fuck you. But you're just giving, you're giving me fuel here to yeah. go and do what I need to do in life. I will prove you wrong, you motherfucker. <laughs> I, re- I, can, I can remember being sat opposite them and them saying this to me and like almost laughing at them when, when they were saying it. Um, and that's kind of how it became. I had fuel when I left to go on and try and do something more. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've actually gone into quite a bit of detail already here. Um, <laughs> well, I, Kyle, I just wanted to say, like, obviously we were just meeting for a chat and I was thinking after I'd heard a fir- you know, first few minutes, I was like, well, we got to book you in for, for an interview. <laughs> and then luckily my, my uh, Zoom, as I have it set up because I do so many interviews, it records automatically. Does it really? Yes. Yeah. I think that's a shame you're gonna to have to repeat yourself so much and it is very conversational my uh podcast so it's been recording the whole time and that's when you should be plugging the things in so yeah. but we can just literally reverse reverse it and tie it up as it were you've been going for about you know 15 minutes there so it's that's oh, a really my. in-depth origin <laughs> question <laughs> so it's absolutely okay uh. but, <laughs> so tell us about more sort of more recent times and, and coming coming out of that army just pick up the story there and then i'll kind of I'll go a bit more interviewee style from there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I left the army. I got a I got a crap job working for a, a furniture delivery company. Um, I worked there for about three days. I discovered pretty quickly that uh, the guy I was working for, I'm just going to get right to the point here. He was a bit of a prick. And yep. having, having served in the army, I, I was I couldn't take bullshit from people very easily. Yep. So I decided if I'm gonna if I've left the army to try and do something with life, I'm not just going to be a delivery driver. Yep. Um, I need to try and go big here. And I, again, I didn't know what big was because all of my experiences up to that point had led me to believe that what I had done was as big as it could be. Mm-hmm. But I knew there must be something else. So I decided to go and do a, a degree in oh, okay. in sports science. And in the meantime, I just worked in a local Sainsbury's to try and pay the bills, worked in local gyms and stuff. But doing the degree was really similar to everything else I'd ever experienced. Before I'd done it, I had this idea, perception in my head that I was the thick kid from the local rubbish coal mining village, that I would be the stupid guy there, that everyone would be cleverer. Um, But I decided, you know what, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to give it my all. And... uh, one of the first things I had to do on the degree was like almost like a test assignment. 
Yeah. And I remember just putting my heart and soul into it and wondering whether it was going to be good enough, like struggling to come up with the answers to answer the questions. And I handed it in about a week later, the results came back and I got like 71% on that very first assignment. And for anyone that's done a degree, basically, if you get above 70%, you're mm -hmm. going to get a first class. Yeah. And I, I can just remember again that moment. It was again, it was like someone lifted me out of the shit and showed me that there is something more. This is possible. And from there, I just smashed the hell out of it. Got great results on everything. The best results the university had ever seen. I got a, an award at the end of me finishing my degree for best academic achievement, finished with first class honors. And wow. so I decided, yeah, it was pretty crazy. That's um, ridiculous because, so yeah, the firsts are not easy to come by at all. They're very, very hard. My wife got a first, but, mm. you know, it's, uh, I definitely didn't. <laughs> that is, you know, fair play. They are very hard to come by. Do you know, the, in terms of statistics, they definitely are because not many people get them. But by the time I got to that point, it did not feel hard. Yeah. It, it almost felt easy. Like, yeah. it's, I don't want to sound arrogant here, but it almost felt too easy. I bet you was in the almost, zone. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Because again, I'd, I'd had this perception of I will not be good enough. I'd had a slap around the face to show me how well, I suppose as well, it's the difference of going from the army to the degree, as opposed to the majority of people who do a degree when they are, you know, in almost the phase you was in and when you got into the army, that's when a lot yeah. of people, me included, go into university when you're a bit of a young wouldn't say muppet but you know you, you're young you got a lot to learn <laughs> absolutely man and I, like i already had life experience and i had something to prove so where yeah. everyone else was there to get drunk and act like a dick yeah. i was there to actually try and make something of life yeah um but I, I remember i remember looking at other people who i think were actually more intelligent than me and seeing their faces every time the results would come in and then seeing that i was getting better results and i remember almost feeling a little bit of guilt because mm. They, they were more intelligent than me, but for some reason, I had the grit and the, the work ethic to just go that extra mile. So I always came out on top. Um, but yeah, I remember I finished the degree and I decided this isn't enough. I need to do something more. I wanted to work. By that point, I wanted to work with elite athletes. Yep. So I decided to do a master's degree in strength and conditioning. So oh, I went to do we the got a lot of in, I did. A, I didn't do a master's in strength and conditioning. I did the certified strength and conditioning. I did a PGCE and went down the PE teacher oh, route awesome. and strength and conditioning stuff. So oh, I'm finding out awesome. more as we go. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, do, I decided to do the master's degree and it would, again, the, the process repeated itself. Yeah. Smashed the hell out of that. Got the best results the university had ever seen. Finished with distinction. And uh, it was not like at this point, it was almost unbelievable, embarrassing to me that I was managing to get these results despite yeah. where I'd come from. Um, so I decided, well, this isn't enough. I need to do more. So my master's degree thesis, my dissertation, I thought to myself, well, what can I do with this? Let's try and get it published. And the same again, I will not be good enough. I will not be able to make this happen. Spent the next two years smashing the hell out of it to get it published. Got it published, cried like a girl <laughs> because I, I couldn't believe I'd made it happen. Um, and it, again, the cycle just continued. I, I, got a, I got a job working it was almost the dream job um, working with young athletes at a, a well-known college in Northampton, Northampton mm -hmm. Shire. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years and I don't know the best way I can describe working at this place 
was that on the surface it looked like the dream job so it was almost like it was christmas and i've had jobs like that yeah so someone brought a tin and the tin was closed and it was from the outside it looked incredible it was shiny it had this amazing wrapper there was a bow around it and you excitedly un undo the bow and the it falls away and you peel away the plastic and you rip the lid open with excitement and anticipation thinking you're going to get the most incredible cake ever and as the lid peels back you're hit by the stench and you realize that it's actually a big piece of shit that was that was my experience working in this job and i thought it was going to be the dream job and i decided like at some point through the two years of working in this job um I became depressed, mm. anxious, stressed. I became a shadow of the man that I was. So it's, I'd gone through this journey from nowhere, nothing, to feeling unstoppable at an embarrassing level to all of a sudden with no explanation. Well, I, there is an explanation when I look back at it, but at the time it felt like there was no explanation. I was, I was a broken man. Um, in the meantime, my now wife, then fiance, Emma, wanted to set up her own business. So we started helping her build her business. She opened a little beauty salon in Northampton. Um, and we got her some new premises. And uh, we, this was maybe the July of 2014. Um, we got her some premises and we were planning to open this place in November. Yeah, and me and her done all of the work. We couldn't afford to get it refurbed by anybody else, so we did, we just went all in. We were working like 16, 18 hour days, so I was getting maybe three or four hours sleep a night, and that continued over like a twelve week period. And by the end of this twelve week period, I'm already in a job that I hate. I'm already depressed and anxious and feeling like shit. I've put on weight. I hate the guy in the mirror. I'm kind of becoming the sort of man that I promised myself I wouldn't. Yeah. And I remember going into work this one, this one morning and just feeling overwhelmed, feeling terrible, feel like, feeling like the world was on top of me and I didn't know what to do about it. And we got towards the end of the day and because I'd only slept like three hours a night for the last 12 weeks, I was absolutely screwed. Yeah. And a bunch, of, a bunch of athletes were supposed to be in the gym with me at four o'clock. And a, a, 10, 10 out of this group of 30 turned up late so i went to find them and i find them in the changing rooms and i'm like gents jim now don't take the piss out of me i'm not that sort of guy anyway yeah. i'm really not in the mood today yeah. get yourself in the gym so they all follow me down and uh they all basically we had like little forfeits so they, they had to do 25 star jumps and 25 press-ups for being late and there's this one guy called uh do you know what i'll give him a i'll give him a fake name for the sake of anonymity he was called steve yeah <laughs> so this one guy called steve just completely refused to do anything that i told him to and we ended up getting in a pretty heated argument and uh, he walked towards me and he went to throw a fist at me and i caught it yeah and i put his arm up behind his back swept his legs drove him face first into the floor flipped him over put my forearm into his throat Yep. And in that moment, I kind of, it was crazy. I, I, I kind of had an out-of-body experience where like in my head, I was looking down on myself doing that. Yep. And when, as my forearms pressing into his throat and I can see the fear in his face, it, it was like someone kicked me in the balls. Like, Jesus. What, Jesus. what have you just done? 
What have yeah. you just done? Yeah. We were a week away from Emma opening the salon. We'd invested every penny, every bit of energy into opening this salon. And here I am losing my supposedly dream, well-paid job that was keeping the roof over our heads and paying the bills so that we could open this salon. So inevitably, I was going to say, as you were doing that, did you, is that what it literally felt like? This is me losing the job by doing this. Not in, not in the action. Because I was going to say it was self-defense, but then did you just, but did you just feel like this is the end? Um, you're not going to be in an environment. You're going to put up with that crap kind of thing. Or? I felt like there was so much pressure that had built over the years gone by, and that was the moment where the lid finally came exploding off. And it could have happened. It could have happened at any time. It really could have. But that was the tipping point. That was the moment. And in, in the action of putting him on the floor, it was complete, like, there was no thought. It yeah. just happened. It was completely automatic. But it was when I, I had me, for, like I said, I had my forearm in his throat, and I'm looking into his eyes, and I can, I can smell the fear. I can see the fear in his face. It was looking in his, he knew that I could kill him at any moment. And I, I felt that I could kill him at any moment. That was what woke me up. From, mm. from doing it, looking in his eyes and seeing... What was your thoughts around... I mean, uh, the word fear, like you said, fear in his eyes, but also fear for you because you could kill him at any moment and the repercussions, that would have literally ruined your life. Um, initially, the thoughts were... I don't know. I didn't really think too much about it to begin with. It was over the weeks that followed where I began to think about it. The week that followed before we opened the salon, I had to try and hide it from Emma. So I got, I got, I got put on, um, I got suspended instantly. And then uh, I had a disciplinary a couple of weeks later, but I was suspended and I basically had to wake up every morning and pretend to Emma that I was going to work. Oh yeah. Because she, she was going to be opening the salon and she'd already had all this stress. And I did not want to add any more to it. So I had to almost put on this facade in front for her sake. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I, someone had, I've heard, you know, around fear, it's almost like you're fearful of someone finding out a, something about you, your deepest secret. And in this case, clearly you're fearful of someone finding out or special to you, something that's just going to, obviously no positives can come from it. Yeah, well, over the two years that had gone by, we'd had so many discussions about what we would do about this job, what we would do about our lives, because I was deeply unhappy. And she'd, she'd asked me to just bear with it. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I want to look after my woman, right? So I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll grip my teeth and I'll, I'll get on. But I'm the sort of guy that will jump off a cliff and build the parachute as he falls down. Yeah. And it, but I, I was trying not to do that for the sake of her sanity and her security. Um, but in that moment, again, I, the cliff, I had no choice but to jump off the cliff because yeah. I'd already done it before I even thought. Um, anyway, about a week later, a day before the salon was due to open, I, I, I couldn't keep lying. I had to tell her. Um, so I did. We were At this point, we were like eight weeks out from Christmas. And because we just opened this salon, I'd, I'd taken away our only source of secure income. Um, I knew we had to do something drastic. We had bills, we had debts, we had rent to pay. So we made the decision. And I, well, I actually made the decision and I told her about the decision, yeah. which was shit. But we made the decision that we would sell everything we own, everything that we'd worked for, sofa, TV, clothes, jewelry, everything move out of our house, 
not do Christmas. Sorry, darling, there's no Christmas this year. Yeah. Oops. Um, and be homeless again. So we sold everything we owned. We'd done exactly that. Sold everything we owned, move out of the house. We came back to the Northeast for Christmas, spent Christmas with the family, pretended everything was fine. And, oh, makes me a little emotional talking yeah. about it. Um, we got back to Northamptonshire um, early in January, like the, the 5th of January, knowing that we were going to be moving out of our, our house on the, the 10th of January. So we packed everything up, sold everything, moved out the house, and her salon had a little kitchen area. It was maybe three meters by five meters. You could, yeah. you could fit a sofa bed in there and roll it out. Um, so I stored all my clothes at a, at a friend's house, and we had this sofa bed, a sink, a kettle and a crap little desk where I could put my laptop so that I could work. And we, we stayed in there for six months. We would work again, 18 hour days. And I just went balls deep into yeah. moving things forward. About five, five, six months later, we managed to get enough money together to be normal humans again and move into a house. Yeah. Um, but at that point I was, again, I'd worked 18 hour days. I was, we'd, we dug ourselves out of the hole financially and in terms of being homeless but emotionally i was destroyed i was completely mm. broken and i'd helped her grow her business but i just felt like a worthless piece of shit almost again like everything i was told as a kid was coming true uh, look self-fulfilling prophecy right or the, the prophecy fulfilled based on what i'd been told as a as a child i am a piece of shit look at my life i, I can't do anything my wife's supporting me Man, I'm broken. So that was uh, that was literally is that four years ago? Is that the kind of time frames we're talking about here? 2014. Yeah. 2014. So yeah. I mean, when did you feel like you know you started? Obviously, you're on a path here, but when you really started, it all started to click, and you know, man, unleash come along, and and around that, what are you? Some of the key things for for men to sort of shorten their own little journey, so they maybe don't have to go as, as many or as adverse situations. You know, I know we all have adverse situations that we've got to overcome, but what are some of your thoughts around that? And obviously when did it start to click more for you? Cool. So one, as the salon continued to grow, I, I kept doing the stuff behind the scenes and Emma kept doing the stuff in the salon. One day she sent me to get some light bulbs. Some light bulbs had burst in the men's salon and there was a B and Q locally. So I went to the local B and Q to get these light bulbs. And I walk down the aisle where the light bulbs are and I'm looking at the light bulbs and I'm stood in front of them for about 40 minutes, just looking, nothing was registering. I know what I need to get. I know what sort of light bulbs, they're all there in front of me, but I'm just staring and nothing was working in here, in my, in my mind. And I, I literally had a breakdown in the middle of being cute, like an, an emotional meltdown yeah. right there in the aisle. I fell to my knees, let out a big scream, started Oh, started crying and mm. I, I, as I'm on my knees crying, oh wow, looking around, I can see people looking at me yeah. like, I, like I'm the most fucked up guy on the planet. And that was the wake up call. That was, that was the moment where I was like, pfft. I'm almost like being in that tent again and shivering yeah. at three o'clock in the morning. Something needs to change here drastically something yeah. has to change because if it doesn't i'm probably going to die quite soon mm. uh, so that day i'd always wanted to start my own business and to the truth 
I never thought I could. I never thought I was good enough, just like all those other things that had come before. But there was a real barrier there with doing this. And I, yeah. even, I'd smashed down all these other barriers. But with this, I didn't think I could do it. But that day, I decided, well, you know what? I'm never going to work for anyone else again. I'm never having that experience at a job yeah. again. Yeah. Stand the fuck up and be counted right now. So I had quite a few contacts locally, friends, guys that I'd trained. I went through my friends list on Facebook and I went through my friends list in my phone and I found anybody who I thought might be a good fit for a training program that I'd want to put together. Yeah. And the people I was looking for were people who were truly driven and committed, people yeah. who could take me as a person and were willing to put up with my no bullshit approach, people who were willing to put their excuses in the bin and actually try to unleash the, the guy that they want to become. Yeah. And I had about 20 replies saying, oh yeah, that, that sounds great. When, when can we start? And I was like, great question. Next Monday, next Monday. The next Monday I had 12 people ready to start this new program that I hadn't built, that I had no idea what it would yeah. look like. And I just made it work. Once I had the 12 people, I put the program together. I put the nutrition plans together. I put the training plans together. I found a location. I just made it work. And I kind of figured in that moment that I'd been struggling so much with my body and fitness, despite knowing everything I needed to yeah. know, despite being the guy that was helping all these other people with theirs. I was struggling with mine. I was struggling emotionally. I was struggling mentally. I had nobody to turn to. Also, if they are suffering like I have, we can help them fix it. Quality. So we're going to go into the alpha round now. So I'd like to start that off with, is there a particular quote or one of your favorite quotes or something that just resonates with you in how you approach and like to live your life now? Uh, Garrett J. White, do the fucking work. <laughs> I've had him on here. Yeah, I had him on here. Like really? Three or four awesome. years ago. Awesome. His footsteps. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Quality. Is there a particular book that has resonated with you or one that was very impactful? Like obviously these different phases in your life that you just read it or heard the message at the right time for you. Loving what is Byron Katie. Ah, uh, yeah. I know Garrett's very much into that and the philosophies around that for his stuff. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and in your work with men as well, is there a particular that you think is almost an essential of, and again, I think around fitness as well, because when I ask this question to a lot of people, even if they're nothing to do with health and fitness or, you know, and getting in good shape and they, a lot of times they use, they mention that. So I sometimes take it away from them, but within that realm of, you know, keeping, looking after your body and your mind, is there a sort of a habit or something essential for maybe men that are in your program? Ignore all the bullshit and do the basics that you already know. There's not a person on this planet that doesn't already know how to eat well. There's not a person on this planet that doesn't already know how to exercise. The problem is we live in the age of information and more information equals more confusion. Get rid of all of it and do what you already know you need to do. That's it. It's as simple as that. People really overcomplicate this. Absolutely love it. From your network, your experience, and even people that you've asked, that inspire you, who do you think would be a great interview for the Awaken Your Alpha podcast? Um, probably Paul Mort. He probably uh, won't know that, I've, that I'd say that because he won't know me that well, but Paul Mort. Ah, I've interviewed him before. <laughs> he was right. There you go. I've been around for a while. This is like 338 <laughs> episodes, but yeah, I, I love Paul Mort. I think his episode was called, and I'll link it into the show notes now as well, Uncopyable. 
uncopyable. Yeah. Uncopyable. <laughs> it was a picture of him in the most ridiculous scenario that, yeah, is uncopyable. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. In terms of if people want to find out more about you and everything you're up to, what's the best way to connect with you? Just do Facebook, man. Kyle Ganner, you'll find me. I'm an angry looking guy with a black and white photo. There's not many Kyle Ganners. And when you know the angry looking guy with the black and white photo, you'll find me pretty easily. And I want to finish this up as well with your thoughts. I know we've, we've touched on it quite a lot and it fascinates me. Your approach to fear, and we meant it came up a few times in the, the interview and stuff and what was holding you back from starting your, your business. And also, how do you think you've changed from, you know, when you were, you know, from that estate and coming from, in your words, you know, not the best crap, basically, mm. and to now kind of how you are now and being homeless and your approach to that. And what, what do you think you've learned from that in a positive way? The, the key things along the journey are that as men, we do this thing where we try to hide emotion because, because of social conditioning. If you hide it, at some point, it's going to come bursting out of you. Just like it did for me with that moment in the gym, you have to address your emotions. And this is something I still have to try and deal with on a daily basis. It's something that I'm trying to learn as I get wiser and older. But you need to find a way to address and manage your emotions. And with, with regards to fear, the only way to address fear is to, to run at it, to run at it. And you'll normally find... You'll see this with other humans. I'm a small guy, so I see this all the time. If you, if you run at fear, it will turn and run the other fucking way. Every single time I've had to face down a guy bigger than me, and this happens a lot, I play football a lot. Every time I face down a guy bigger than me, he shits his pants because I'm half his size and he doesn't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Love it. Run at fear. It will run the other way. I guarantee you. Quality. What a way to finish the show. Well, thank you, Kyle. It's been an absolute pleasure today. No worries. If you enjoyed this one Tao and his tactics to thrive, please do head over to ayalpha.com forward slash book. You'll be able to see the TEDx talk, How to Awaken Your Alpha and Rise Up. And also the international best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tao's and Tactics to Thrive is a great place to start, a great resource and there's also bonuses to go with that. The Claim Your Clarity seven-day video series is completely free if you jump over there and get involved. And if you have any interest in upping your game for over the next year, I have my TED Accelerator program. I have my book year program. Please do reach out to me. And also, if you want to join us, we have our arena that is an ongoing resource for you to dive in and actually have that support, that sounding board, and that weekly call to not be alone and to run with others on a similar mission. Make sure you connect across all social media, Facebook, Awaken Your Alpha, Adam Lewis Walker, Instagram, Awaken Your Alpha, Adam Lewis Walker. If there's any interest, if you get any value, please do leave us a review on iTunes. And also if you've read the book or are reading the book or get the book, please do pop up a brief review, an honest review on Amazon. All right, have a great week and I'll speak to you all soon. Cheers.